verses that we Dave's just read to us encapsulate everything that Jesus was about. He was a great communicator, a great spokesman, a great leader with an extraordinary message. And this little bit that we just read together that sums it up and encapsulates it. And it's become our story. It's history. It's the church's history. But it becomes our story as, uh, as we accept it and as we, uh, as we take it on board. So, there is a picture of me. I just spent some time in the States. Um, I spent some time in the States uh, with Dave just a few couple of weeks ago. We came back last Sunday morning, actually. And I was, I went to speak at a, at a, um, I went to speak in, where did that happen, Dave? In Seattle, that's right. We went to a lot of places to speak. And on this particular night, I was going to speak at this um, big event. And in actual fact, you can't see that we're standing by the entrance to a huge church building. And uh, there were hundreds of people arriving in cars uh, to listen to me and one or two others speak. And we're going to, talk and be going to be talking about inclusion. But there was a gang of people with bullhorns. We call them megaphones, don't we? And there are perhaps, you know, 10 or 12 or so of them by the gates, announcing through these megaphones, uh, they were saying, please do not go in. This man will lead you into hell. Do not listen to him. <laughs> Your number's up if you do, kind of thing. Repent, turn round, drive the other way. Do not be misled. It was that kind of uh, thing. This lovely lady, she was one of them. She was, she's actually watching the guys at that moment with their, their megaphones doing their stuff and trying to persuade cars to go the other way. And so uh, we arrived and I asked her if I could have my picture taken with her holding her board. And that's the result. As you can see, she thinks that people need to fear the Lord, depart from evil, depart from idol worship, drunkenness, premarital sex, abortion, drugs, lying and stealing. That seems to be the content of their gospel. 2,000 years ago, the people Jesus spoke to had had a skin full of this kind of stuff. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the Jewish people, the priests, the high priests, the ordinary priests, all of them had been on at the ordinary people. Get your act together. Get your act together now. Get yourself in line. You're not jumping high enough and you're the kind of person God isn't interested in. The Israel that Jesus came to speak into was an Israel just like that. It was run by an elite who disapproved of the ordinary people. In fact, the Pharisees actually taught that if everyone in Israel could keep God's law to the letter for a 24-hour period, any 24-hour period, then God would intervene and he'd write everything that was wrong and the Romans who ruled the country, um, they would be gone. Israel would be set free if everyone could just keep the law perfectly for a 24-hour period. Fear the Lord, depart from all evil. And with that message, they beat ordinary people into the ground. Because, as the New Testament actually makes clear, the one thing you know about laws 
is that they're impossible to keep. Paul writes a lot of letters in the New Testament that we've contained in the New Testament and summing them up, or half of them up, that's the first half of the message. Rules are impossible to keep. Second half of Paul's message, therefore you need God's grace, which you discover through Jesus. That basically is the whole message of all Paul's letters. Rules are impossible to keep. But these people, back in Israel, were knocked down and smashed down with all of this stuff. And that's where Jesus' inaugural speech comes in. As he led these people up the mountain and they sat down and listened to him and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who've been persecuted, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He wasn't slapping a whole load of new laws on people, these laws would have been impossible. He wasn't saying, you've got one load of laws in the Old Testament and now I'm going to make it doubly difficult. Blessed are those who mourn, so get miserable now. You're looking too happy. Sort yourself out and get miserable. Then you can get blessed. Blessed are those who are meek. Get meek. Act like a mouse now. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Get hurt for something. Get persecuted. If you get persecuted, you'll be acceptable. Blessed are the poor. Get poor, quick. Jesus wasn't saying that at all. What he was saying, however, is something totally different. And to tell you the truth, I've grown up through the church and I've been told time after time that these beatitudes, as we call them, uh, the ways of behaving are another set of laws. We've got to be meek. We've got to get persecuted. We've got to mourn. We've got to look miserable. Don't look like you're enjoying life too much. You're a Christian. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. In Jesus' society, blessed were the rich. Blessed are those who could wheel and deal and cut a deal with the Romans. Blessed were those who were popular. Blessed were those who were born the right side of the tracks. Blessed were the cocksure. Blessed were the loud and the proud and the brash. And all the ordinary people got left out. I said the other Sunday night to you, the reason people followed Jesus up the hill wasn't because they had to go. They weren't compelled to go. They didn't have to show up. The reason they followed him was because his message was so incredibly different. Everything they heard from anybody else ever. They wanted to know more about it. And his message is this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are put down. Blessed are the zeros, the spiritual zeros. Blessed are those with no qualifications, those that get passed by, those who get forgotten. Blessed are the shy ones and the pushed about ones. You who've been intimidated and persecuted and oppressed and marginalized, you're blessed. You're told by society you don't count, you don't matter, but as far as God's concerned, you're in. Blessed everybody is everyone who get, ends up at the back of the queue and can't get a word in edgeways. Blessed are those who don't count for anything in God's kingdom, the upside-down way of seeing things. You win. That's what God's kingdom is all about. And, you know, I always think, that so many people banish the New Testament away. It all happened 2,000 years ago, and it's not like that today. But of course, the message of Jesus is utterly relevant to every single one of us today. 
in our society it goes like this. Blessed are the slim. Blessed are the good-looking. Blessed are the young. Blessed are the smart. Blessed are those who've got a first-class degree. Blessed are those who are fashionable, well-paid, qualified, successful, recognized, fit, and athletic. Blessed are those who look good. But Jesus' whole message is about inclusion. It's about the inclusion of everyone who doesn't fit and doesn't look right. I wrote this, blessed are the misshapen, blessed are the disabled, the ugly. Blessed, said Jesus, are those with receding hairlines. Blessed, Dave, are the bald. They're still in, they count. Blessed are the grey. Blessed are the wrinkled ones. Blessed are the divorced ones, the burnt out ones, the broken ones. Blessed are the barren ones. Blessed are the overemployed. Blessed are the underemployed and the unemployable. Blessed are the lonely, the incompetent, the dying, the emotionally starved. Blessed are those who are not relentlessly engaged in romance. Blessed are those who are not in fashion. Blessed are those who don't like physical activity and haven't got a six-pack. Blessed are those that our society passes by. Blessed are those who aren't a zero or a six or whatever it's supposed to be. Blessed are the 18s. Blessed are those that are the wrong size and the wrong shape. So we come to um, this passage that um, there are eight Beatitudes. You know the blesseds are? There are eight of them. And we come to the one that just says, blessed are those who seek righteousness. And it looks like this lady seeks righteousness, doesn't it? Fear the Lord, depart from evil, seek righteousness, get your act together. But that's not what Jesus means by righteousness at all. In order to understand the content of what Jesus meant when he said, be righteous, you've just got to look at his life and his teaching. Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching really doesn't talk about any of these things at all. He never ever talks about premarital sex. He really doesn't. He doesn't talk about abortion. He doesn't talk about drugs. He doesn't talk about departing from evil. He doesn't talk about idol worship. What he does is concentrate not on negatives, but the other side constantly. It turns out that seeking righteousness is about seeking justice. We all know that Jesus said about a lot about love, love your enemies. Love those who despise you. Pray for those who persecute you. Love the other. The problem is that we don't actually stop long enough most of the time to define what love is. Well, I've got to love my enemy. What is that? How do you love your enemy? How do we love our neighbour? What is our responsibility? Defined by Jesus, our responsibility is to seek justice for people, is to seek it and work for it and hunger after it. Hunger and thirst after what's right. Hunger and thirst after justice. Hunger and thirst after inclusion. That's what we're called to do. Hunger and thirst after these things. And so there's another thing. If, we're supposed, if Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after justice for others, who are passionately committed to it, the very fact that he says, seek, blessed are those who seek justice, 
blessed are those who hunger and thirst after justice, shows that those he's talking about live with a dichotomy. They long for something which is not yet. They they live with an eternal sense of frustration. These are people who are seeking and hungering after something. Earlier Jesus said, blessed are the poor. They are blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. But here he says, blessed are those who seek and hunger and thirst after righteousness. He doesn't say, blessed are the righteous. He knows we're all, there's a big gap for us all between what we talk about and what we deliver. There's a big gap in my life between what I know I should offer to other people and what I actually get round to doing. But Jesus said, blessed are those who know there's a gap. Blessed are you who know that you're called to one thing, but you struggle to get there. Blessed are you that live with the tension of all of that. Blessed are you that are caught up in the struggle. This is what the kingdom of God is about. So, the kingdom of God, to say it again, I often say this, but, you know, it's one of those magical phrases Christians say, and they very often don't know what they mean by it. Um, I was uh, talking to someone just the other day, and he said to me, do I find that uh, we get blocked in what, do I find that I get blocked in what I'm doing when I talk to government? Because I'm a Christian. Local government or national government? I said, no, I don't really. I really never have. And then I could tell what he thought. He thought it was because I'm a bit watered down in what I say and do. So I said, and I don't think it's because I'm not clear about my faith. I think I'm really pretty clear about my faith a lot of the time. It's because, I said, it's because we need to learn to explain what we mean in plain English to people. Because the problem is Christians have a gobbledygook language that they use in their church buildings and another language that they have to use outdoors. Now this guy's been a Christian a long time and he, he said, yeah, I get what you mean. I said, you know, in church services, people talk in a kind of Christianese language that doesn't relate at all to anyone else. And I said, it's like you talk like this way on Sunday and you can't talk that way for the rest of the week, so you say something different. And he said, yeah, I know what you mean. And then he let it slip. He said, so when you go in to see the council, Steve, you just talk ordinary to them. And I said, yeah, that's what you do. You talk in ordinary language. And he said, so what you do is you, like, you say that, look, we are the church and we've come here to bless you. And the bless word popped out of his head before he knew what he was talking about. And I said, that's exactly it. When you walk into the council chamber and say the church is here to bless the people of the community, eh, eh, you are out of play for the next decade. That one statement, honestly, they're going to say, this man is mad. Avoid him. And it's ten years in the wilderness One phrase, because it gives or it tells other people that actually you're a proselytizer, actually you're a religious maniac, and you don't get it. So, the phrase, the kingdom of God, we ought to explain. Because we all say, we work for the kingdom of God. Well, what's that when it's at home? How do you explain that to ordinary people? How should we talk about it together? The kingdom of God is the kingship of God. It's like if God was king over everything. So when we say we work for the kingdom of God, what we're really saying in plain English is this. We're working to to bring about a world 
A world that would be if the bankers weren't in charge, if the money men weren't in charge, if the landlords who charge exorbitant rents and put them up relentlessly in London weren't in charge. We're working for a London where ordinary people get a fair deal and a fair crack. We're working for a London where local people have an education that equips them to be employed. We're working for a place where mums and dads have a sense of self-worth and sense of self-esteem, where houses are big enough to live in, where people aren't cramped in, where whole families don't inhabit a one-bedroom flat. We're working for streets that are safe. We're working for a world where there's fairness for everyone. That's what we mean when we say in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's what we're working for, and we're working with people. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what's right. Blessed are you all. And this understanding of what Jesus says runs all the way through his teaching. So I've just got four little excerpts uh, from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Here's one from Matthew. Matthew, whoops, Matthew 20. Jesus called them together, his disciples, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the Romans, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to lay down his life to give it as a ransom for many every day. If you want to lead, serve. A boss is someone who tells people what to do. A leader is someone who gets involved with people as they do it. A boss, the world's full of bosses, do this, get that, show up at this time. A leader is someone who shows up, who gets involved, who's there first, who does the menial task, leads other people in it. How does that apply to you? Because those of us who hunger and thirst after doing what's right will be those who lead, not those who boss. That's Matthew's Gospel. That's Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus in Mark's Gospel. He says this. It says this. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around with flowing robes and, greet it, and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and in places of honour and at dinners, at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. How irrelevant is that to our city today? People of power banqueting in great halls. People of power sat there, surrounded by fine wines and fine dinners, discussing the future of London, discussing the future of ordinary communities. Jesus is pretty blunt, isn't he? These people, they wander around and they love to be greeted with respect and sit in important places and enjoy, enjoy their fame. They devour widows' houses. How many widows... How many um, single-parent families do you know that are squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, that can't afford to live 
that don't go out, that don't enjoy any wine, let alone the best wine. Is it true that we've become a two-track society? One society enjoying great pleasure and wealth and leisure, and another group of people shut out completely. Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll get your reward. You're all shuffling around, doing your thing. You invite them, they invite you. Hey-ho! Whoa! But when you give a banquet, throw a lunch, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Invite those who are other than you. Invite those that you can get nothing from. I often say, you can judge a society by the respect it shows to the most vulnerable and the least within it. You can judge a person, you can judge me, I guess, by the respect and time I'm willing to give to someone who I have nothing to get from. How much time do we really invest in the lives of those who it's not a good deal for us with? How much time do we give to those because we just choose to give it? That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of society he's talking about. This is what he means when he says hunger and thirst after righteousness in John's Gospel. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, when it gets tough, when it gets difficult... He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. It's an extraordinary thing in public life, actually, I've I've noted. People do grand jobs. They make grand policies and then they're gone. Somebody else arrives, makes grand policies, and then they're gone. Have you noticed how ordinary people get sick and tired of professionals arriving, professionals arriving in the health service, in schools, in education, in government, people with grand plans all set out neatly, and then a couple of years and they're gone. They've been promoted, they've gone somewhere else. Jesus says it's because they're a hired hand. What we're looking for, he says, is something else, someone who invests their life. All of this is huge, isn't it? All of this is massively challenging. All of this is a revolution. Last week, Nathan spoke in the evening and he had that T-shirt with the Che Guevara Jesus on. Did you you see that? The revolution, a revolution of love. But this isn't love that's squashy and this isn't a love which is gooey. This is a love which is about justice. This isn't a love based on emotion. It's not how I feel about a thing. I will very often feel, you will very often feel, I'm too tired, I'm too busy. I've got more going on in my life. I can't make that jump. This is a love that sacrifices itself because as Jesus said, I came not to be served but to serve and to lay down my life for people every day. This is the way of Jesus. This is why the way of Jesus is so unpopular. This is why they crucified him. And the way of Jesus remains unpopular today because it's about serving, not for cash. It's about serving for serving's sake. 
it's about what Oasis is really about. That is our hour of inclusion. It's on the walls and things, but having it on the walls means nothing. The O of inclusion says, we will include. Jesus says, when you throw a banquet, include those that you'd ordinarily leave out. Jesus says, when you live your life, serve those who you would ordinarily leave out. Jesus says, time and time again, include, include. And that's what his great speech is about. It's our history, it's our story, it's our circle of inclusion, but it needs to become your story, my story. And it needs to become that story this week. So Jesus tells us, in our brokenness, in our struggle, in our knowing that there's a giant gap between what we aim to be and who we actually are, we are loved and we are included. We are not included and you aren't included because you get it right. You're included in spite of the fact you get it wrong, just like me. I'm not included because of my good theology or my bad theology. I'm included in spite of the fact that my theology is wrong half the time, in spite of the fact that I don't see clearly half the time. I'm included by Christ for all the mistakes I make. That's where we all are. But because we're included in our brokenness, it drives us to strive, to hunger and thirst for rightness so that others will be included. I'm going to simply end by leaving a short moment to pray, to reflect. And for you and me to ask ourselves the question, how can we make this story our story this week?